Good to have you here today. Thank you for coming to this second service. We've enjoyed a good morning of worship already. We're glad you're a part of this hour, and thank you for tuning in out there. Take your Bibles and join me back in 1 John. A lot of this series I've put... um, song titles with. Next week, we'll begin that sort of musical journey. We're going to hear from the theologian Whitney Houston, so get ready for that. That'll be next Sunday. Um, We had a great start to our Gracetastic Wednesday nights. Pastor Mike did a fabulous job. I hope you'll join us. We've got more food trucks coming, and you'll hear about it at the end. Also, let me encourage you not to go anywhere. Don't leave during invitation unless you've got something already planned, Um, and stay tuned out there and watch through the invitation because I'm going to premiere a video that our pastor did with uh, Brother Jesse, our lead videographer, and, and uh, he did a great job. They all did well putting this together, and it's going to introduce you to a brand new ministry. We're not going to have Grace American celebration this year in the same way because it's the 4th is on a Sunday. To get the pyro on the 4th is uh, double the cost, plus we compete with a lot of other fireworks shows. We've made a decision to do something related to back to school, an evangelistic event that actually will even be bigger and better. There'll even be some rides for adults like uh, bull riding and stuff. And I'm going to get Pastor Frank and a couple of the guys in a dunking booth. It's going to be fun. Uh, Maybe. I don't know yet. But we're definitely going to have some new stuff, and all of the food this time will be free even food trucks that we contract with. We're gonna do everything free for our community. But listen to it at the end today. You'll get a kick out of this. I hope the the video goes viral. We premiere it today, okay? So we're talking about this series in 1 John called Blessed Assurance. A lot of us just live in this, this no man's land where we think we're saved, we hope we're saved, we think we're going to heaven, but we don't live in great assurance. And so what John's gonna try to say is, look, we need you to live in the light We need you to live with true biblical love. And and then you have this life with Christ happening that is unmistakable. And so it's, it's never been, nor will it ever be, about you or me or how good or how bad we are. But today we're going to continue to focus on how we walk in the light. Last week we looked at three claims, three false statements, fallacies to avoid. Today we're going to look at three truths to embrace and watch what we're going to do at the end. We're just going to put them all together. If you say this, well it really means that, but God says this. And if you say this, and so we're going to see how those interweave and I'm going to tell you some stories along the way to hopefully bring this into light. But let's remind ourselves, what were those fallacies? They're on your grace notes there in the beginning. What are we supposed to be avoiding? First... We're supposed to be avoiding the false claim that sin doesn't matter. And that kind of is where our culture is right now. Oh, it doesn't matter. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. But that's a denial of sin's significance. And then the result is we just lie. We don't practice the truth because sin does matter. It matters to God, and it should matter to us. The second thing we learned is that uh, some people say, well, I'm not a sinner. They deny the sinful nature. Our world today, in fact, Darwinian evolutionary theory denies sinful nature because it says people are getting better and better and better. Time plus chance plus matter, you evolve, you get better. No. Try that in your garden. 
<laughs> Leave it alone. Don't tend it. Don't take care of it. It doesn't get better and better and better. It gets worse and worse and worse. Things devolve naturally, not evolve naturally. And so the denial of a sinful nature just means we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But we can go beyond denying sinful nature to say, well, this is not a sin. That's not a sin. I don't sin in this way or that way. And that's the third point that says, well, I haven't sinned. I deny my sinful actions, which means that you're calling God a liar. Because God says we all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And, and the word of the Lord's not in you. But, but John, God through John, has an answer to these things. So let's see what the answer is. Please stand with me again as we honor the reading of God's word. And then I'll let you be seated and settled. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. John says, this is the message which we've heard from him, from Jesus. And we declare this to you. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. So here's that first claim. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But here's the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That means with God and with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Second false claim. If we say we have no sin, no sinful nature, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if... We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, we got to go back and say our verse. We didn't say that. We'll do that in a moment. And then if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the morning, the opportunity to gather in your house with your people to sing your praises. How great you are. God, we love you. We are so grateful that we can be here today, that we can listen and apply these truths to our life. And God, I pray that people are going to make some decisions here today that are going to matter a million years from now, like my brother Brian said last week, that'll matter an eternity from now. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of the people of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, guys, as you're being seated, I'll ask the booth to go back. Let's pick up our verse. I failed to do that. We're learning this verse it's super, super great verse, and it's very important to our teaching today. So let's do it no blanks, then a bunch of blanks. I think you guys probably know 1 John 1, 9. You ready? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Feel pretty good about it? Let's throw up a bunch of blanks. Go. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good. Bravo. That's a great job. So we're going to talk about why that's so important. The first truth I want you to embrace, though, is here. If we walk close to God, walking in the light, we will stay clean in Christ. Walk close, stay clean. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Johnny Hunt used to tell his preacher boys, stay close and clean, fellas. Stay close and clean. Stay close and clean. I've always said the guys I've served around, and I love Pastor Johnny, but I've always said, if you stay close, you're going to stay clean. If you're going to walk in the light, well, God is light. God doesn't cast any shadows. So if you're walking close to God, you can't walk in the shadow because God has no shadows. And so if you stay close, you're going to stay clean in 
Christ. The verb is in the present tense, if we walk. When we walk, that means continuous action, constant fellowship with God. It's a habit. But now we all know in here, walking in the light isn't always comfortable. You walk in the light, you become more conscious of sin, not less conscious. Every imperfection begins to show up. It's like when I change the lights in the bathroom. All the problems were made manifest. Well, you can choose to cut the lights off or you can choose to fix the problems. And I choose to come to the Lord Jesus and allow him to do what he does, clean me up from the inside out. So Jesus is the light of the world. And by comparison to Jesus, we have pretty grubby lives, right? But the Bible says if we walk in the light, two things happen. We have fellowship one with another. That's the first thing. We have fellowship one with another. That could mean one with God and one with each other. I think it's both, actually. So that's the first thing. We have fellowship. The second thing is we're cleansed. And so let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. We have fellowship one with another. We, we uh, have this relationship, this accountability when we walk in the light. And I like to say this verse whenever we partake of communion because I think we're gathering. I like to think about us gathering with Jesus around the Lord's table. I, like to th I know we have little individual cups and all. I've done the community cup thing where you sip it and pass it to your neighbor. I'm not a fan. So we're going to do little cups and we're going to pass those around. But we're really drinking from one cup. We're really eating from one piece of bread. We're really partaking of Christ in a spiritual sense. And so, it, look, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're close and we're clean. And I love this cleanses us. Again, present tense. And John makes use of a strong Greek word called katharizo. That's a cool Greek word. It's where we would get the word catharsis. It means um, to purify, to have this idea of releasing. In fact, you even get words like catheter from it. Um, what is a catheter for? Catheter takes away things, right? It removes. And so when the blood of Jesus comes in the picture, it's not just temporarily covering sin. The blood of animals, on the mercy seat for instance, um, the blood of animals covered sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses sin. The blood of Jesus takes sin away. Cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. Puts it as far as east is from west. And so... That's a good truth to embrace. We walk close to God. We stay clean in Christ. Second truth to embrace is this. If we confess our sins, God will respond according to his nature. Now, we just said it. If we confess our sins, what's the nature of God? He's faithful and what? Just. He's faithful. Now, he's more than that, but he starts here with faithful and just. What does confess mean? Did you know confess means literally to say the same thing? It's a combination of two Greek words, homos and lego, or legeo, or logo, logos, depending on the, the content of the, if you're using a verb or a noun, but the homos means same, lego, to speak or to say, logos, uh, word. And so when you are homologeo, you're saying the same thing. You are not telling God something he doesn't know, guys. You're not telling him something new and fresh. Like you confess sin and God says, well, thank you very much. That's news to me. That's not the way this works. But you see, confession here doesn't come to a priest. It doesn't come to some pope. It comes straight to the Lord. If we confess our sins and by implication to him, he is faithful and just. 
There's a place for confession to one another. James 5.16, confess your sins one to another, but that's for accountability. For cleansing, you come to the Lord. He's faithful. He can't act in any way contrary to his nature. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself, 2 Timothy 2.13. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to all of us who have trusted him. God is faithful. So we rely on him. He's just. Now listen, guys. When I say he's just, when the Bible says that language of being just, it doesn't water down his kindness. Well, anything goes with God. No, it means he's totally righteous. That payment for sin has already been made by him in Christ, paid in full. He's perfect and faithful. Like the title of the old TV show, Father Knows Best, right? I read a story about Norman Vincent Peale. He's the preacher, kind of speaker, famous for the power of positive thinking. There are a lot of... Um, Preachers out of the 20th century and many even in the 21st century that follow after Norman Vincent Peale. Power of positive thinking. You just think it and you can have it. You just speak it and it's yours. That's that name it, claim it, receive it, believe it, nab it, grab it, that kind of idea. Just plant your seed. The problem is the seed is normally $1,000 to the preacher. So just do this and God will give you that and just speak it and God will give it. Well, come on, man. Uh, this idea is just think right. But Peale... Uh, had some good illustrations back in the day, and when he was a boy, he told about finding a big black cigar and slipping into an alley and lighting it up. He said it didn't taste very good, but made him feel grown up. And then he saw his daddy coming. So quickly, he put the cigar behind his back, and he tried to be casual to trying to divert his father's attention. Norman, he pointed to a billboard, and he said, look, Dad, the circus is coming to town. Can I get tickets to the circus? Norman Vincent Peale said his daddy taught him a lesson he would never forget. He said, son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. <laughs> you ever done that? A father. Try to divert the father's attention. I want this. But you're hiding a smoldering disobedience. I was in middle school, early middle school, I think, and we had a big barn. Um, Daddy and Papa had built a big red barn, just kind of the quintessential what you'd think of when you see a farm barn in the backyard. And we had a lot of land around. It was a great place to grow up, a lot of land around us. And you, a boy could take a BB gun and shoot everything that moves, including his buddies. And you rode bikes and you never heard of pads. That was goofy. And so, you know, we broke a lot of things and we, we had a good time. But my ba the barn was, the back of the barn was hidden from the house. I don't even know how I got a hold of a cigarette, but I got one and went to the back of the barn and lit up. And my dad came home early one day, which was unusual for my daddy. Well, I uh, put that cigarette out, but he must have known I looked like I had been caught. And so I'll never forget walking into the kitchen of our house. And my, all my dad said was, come here, boy, let me smell your breath. And I went, ah, busted. I didn't have any Mentos. And so then we had a very powerful laying on of hands ceremony in my house. It was um, one for the record books. My dad knew. My, I don't know exactly how. My dad knew. And the reality is a lot of times um, I will know, but I want my kids to come clean. 
It's good for them to acknowledge, hey, you know what? I messed up. I was hiding a smoldering disobedience. You know, you come to God, he already knows. You're not confessing to somehow inform God. You're confessing for communion with God. I'll come back to that in a moment. Third truth, if we confess our sins, the Bible says because he's true to his nature, we will be forgiven and we will be cleansed completely. It's not we confess that we have sinned generically. No, it's more specific. We confess our sins. It's somewhat easier to say I am a sinner than God forgive me of this grudge toward such and such about this. Somewhat easier to say, Lord, forgive us for all the ways we've sinned against you. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How about getting specific? The church I grew up in, the preacher always called on somebody to pray at the end of the service. It was always just one service, and uh, he'd call on ushers and deacons and different guys. And there was this one fellow, I won't call him by name because some of our people watch, but he called this guy's name, Brother Such and Such, would you pray to close us out? And everybody in the church would collectively groan. One time I timed him, he prayed over nine minutes. I've not always been this upright and spiritual, my friend. And so I was just... It just used to kill me because the guy would pray for every little blade of grass and every little bird, and he was probably still confessing smoking cigarettes as a middle schooler. I mean, just all this craziness. And I want you to remember something. When you confess, because God is faithful and just, he will forgive you, he will cleanse you, and you got to quit saying the same stuff over and over. That's vain repetition. And this brother, he's with Jesus now. I mean, I can imagine when he met Jesus, he probably talked for a while, and then Jesus was kind of like, look, man, I got, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. John comforts us with the truth that even though we have sin in our lives, we can be purified from that sin. We can maintain fellowship with God and other believers. Now, there's an interpretation here that actually is a mistaken interpretation that says, look, if you don't confess every sin every time, you're there not forgiven, therefore you are estranged from God. I was interviewing a pastor for our team one time to do a third service in another language, and I had heard, this is a great guy, by the way. Man, I'd been at his church. I'd preached for him. Um, we had had a, a number of um, Hispanic folks in our church that, that had come to faith. We had just baptized like 26 folks. And this was a, a great man, still is a great man of God. But we differed on some theology. And so I had heard that he believed you could lose salvation. I interviewed him. I had a couple other pastors with me. We were talking. We had been talking two hours plus, And I finally said, now look, brother, I need to know something. Um, I'll give you an illustration. You're a good man. You, you have been faithful to the Lord for many years. Uh, I know you're a brother in Christ, but let's say you leave our church, you get down here to this busy intersection. We had a bad intersection where a lot of people had been um, hit in their vehicle. I said, you, you go to cross the intersection, but an 18-wheeler barrels down and doesn't realize you had the light. And just before he pummels you, you yell out God's name in vain. Oh, God, something. And boom, impact, you're gone. What happens? He said, oh, I go to hell. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You believe in Jesus, your brother in Christ. He said, yeah, I don't have time to confess that sin. I immediately go to hell forever. I said, man, I, I just can't live that way. I would live in terror. What sin is going to keep you out? What thing did you forget that keeps you out? 
And I just believe that the Bible teaches when a man or woman, a boy or a girl, truly trusts in Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, they have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. They are set in the hand of the Lord and kept in the Father's hand, and nobody can snatch them away. They are once saved and forever saved, not because they're good, but because Jesus is good. And you can't be taken away in salvation. So if that's true then, I don't believe this has to do with confession to be cleansed judicially, if you will. In fact, the teaching of Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him, Christ, we have, present tense, redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So the model prayer, though, also prompts us as Christians, because he starts with our Father, so it's not a non-believer praying. It's for disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day, or, or I'm sorry, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses or our debts. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. So why are we asking for forgiveness if it's not to be saved? Well, my, I do stupid things sometimes, shocking, I know. But I know my wife loves me and will forgive me. She will choose to forgive me whether I ask for it or not because of our relationship. But isn't it better and more sensitive and right for me to still ask for forgiveness? It's familial. It's better and it's right to ask for forgiveness. It's careless and it's insensitive not to ask for forgiveness of our sin against someone, even though you may already know you've got it. So I want to tell you that, let me help you explain, um, understand this. This is parental or familial forgiveness that John's speaking of. This has to do with communion, not union. So we receive judicial forgiveness one time when we receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. In other words, tetelestai, paid in full, all your sin, past, present, and future, cleansed by the blood of Christ. But... Communion can be hindered when we choose to walk away from the light and dabble in the darkness. And every person in this room has dabbled in the darkness. <laughs> if you say you haven't, go back to the points I gave earlier. And so judicial forgiveness is granted through Christ because God is acting as judge. But after salvation, the Bible is clear that we still sin. This sin does not cause us to lose our salvation, Romans 8, 37 and following teaches, but it does break fellowship with us and God, just like I do something dumb. The sin does not cause Miss Cindy not to be my wife. We're still related in the same way, just like my children are still related to me in the same way, but it can break fellowship for a time. We've all been there. We understand that. And so when we confess our sin out of respect and love for the person we've sinned against, i.e. God, God forgives that sin, purifies us from all unrighteousness, restores fellowship. We need judicial forgiveness once. We need parental or familial forgiveness every single day. I hope that makes sense. I told you about Charles Haddon. Spurgeon last week, Prince of Preachers, he loved to tell this story. He told it in several of his sermons He said, a certain benevolent duke once boarded a galley ship. As he passed the crew of prisoners, he asked several of them what their offenses were, and almost every man claimed he was innocent. I've heard this kind of tale before. They laid the blame on someone else. 
They accused the judge of yielding to bribery, but one young fellow spoke out and he said, sir, sir, I I deserve to be here. I stole some money. No one's at fault but me. I'm to blame. I'm guilty. Upon hearing this, the duke seized the young man by the shoulder and shouted, you scoundrel, you. What are you doing here with all these honest men? You need to get out of their company at once. And he released him. All the other guys stayed imprisoned by their own willingness to avoid confession. I have been there. I have been imprisoned by my own willingness to avoid confession. To walk in the light doesn't mean we're sinless and flawless. To walk in the light means I am well aware of my sinfulness. And this passage is beautiful because it says I'm not a lost cause who's beyond hope, but I can continue to walk with the very source of light. And I can continue to confess so that we can stay in the light. And God helps to resolve my guilt issues because if you're a Christian and you've never sensed guilt over anything, then something's wrong with your guilt meter, your conscience that should be inspired and informed by the Holy Spirit. You see, something up. And the human tragedy, therefore, is not some secret to be learned. It's not some escape from this road to some higher spiritual plane. It's not denial of a problem. It's a daily walk with God in Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, I'm learning. I'm stumbling sometimes, but you're there with me. You're forgiving me. You're cleansing me. You're keeping me in the light. Because The reality for sin for the Christian is this. While in his death, Jesus dealt fully with our sin, the sin nature within us is not yet eradicated. There are ingrained responses that still tug at us all. We can still experience pride and lust and hatred and fear and anger. Our capacity to sin remains today. It won't be there forever, but it remains today. And it's an ever-present burden. But now listen, I want to give you some relief. You ready? Our capacity to sin or even our temptation to sin is not our primary problem. The primary issue for us is choice. What are you going to choose to do with those forces within, those old passions stirring Do you have a new appreciation for godliness? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want him to change your want-tos? There is this war that Paul describes in Romans 7, 15 and following. Oh, I do this and I don't do that and I shouldn't do this, but I still do that. And oh, what a predicament I'm in. What a war. But Paul and John here claim we can walk in the light. We can live in the radiance of God's word and God's presence. Or we can choose to turn our backs on him and move away and walk walk in darkness for the, ple- for the passing pleasures of sin. It's the choices we make, not the temptations we face that move us into darkness or light. If temptation were a sin, Jesus would be a sinner. But he is not a sinner. He overcame sin. You following that? He said, but I'm so tempted. Learn to say no. No. Right? Practice with me, no. Learn to say no. But you're a teenage boy sitting out there and say, well, you don't know what I feel. I was a teenager 90 years ago or whatever it was. I know how you feel. And you say, but you don't share my struggle. 
I've heard that. I've had very, very good friends of mine in same-sex relationships. But Bobby, you don't share my struggle. You're right, but I'm attracted to women. I can only focus my energies on one, though. Don't tell me there's not temptation. Don't tell me there's not a sense in which we all struggle with things, but we have to learn to say no. I want to put my energy into, as the Bible says, the wife of my youth. You cannot go on sinning, saying I'm walking in the light. You gotta confess. And because God's faithful and just, you will be forgiven every time. It's not a matter of your union with Christ. It's a matter of your communion with him. I'll give you this closing reminder before I give you a, a, a story. Uh, the foundation of our fellowship with God is not our sinlessness, but God's forgiveness. In fact, one of the things that makes me the most sick are holier-than-thou Christians. Because I think you do us all a disservice with your holiness, sticking your little nose in the air, acting like you're better than anybody else. Because people out there that are lost would say, I can't be like that. And you know good and well, you're a sorry, rotten sinner. And behind closed doors, if the truth were known, you'd be ashamed of yourself. So get out of your long, flowing robe. Jesus said, those who think they are well have no need of a physician. I need the great physician. And I am not alone, dirty, rotten sinner. So, what have we learned? Let me put them together. You ready? Let's see them together before we go. Sin doesn't matter. That's the denial of our, uh, the significance of sin. All that says is you just lie. You're not practicing the truth. What's the uh, antidote to that? Well, if we walk close to God, if we walk in the light, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm reading the word, I'm praying, I'm serving, I'm loving. We walk close to God, we will stay clean in Christ. You can't walk beside a God and be in the shadow because he's light. Second, I'm not a sinner. You deny the nature no, 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 you're not at the top of the chain, Bubba. You've just denied yourself. You, you, the truth is not in you. But when you confess, God responds according to his nature. He's faithful. He's just. He responds to you according to his nature. You say, but I haven't sinned. This action I do today, that's not a sinful action. Well, now you've just called God a liar. His word is not in you. And so what you got to do is you got to confess it. Same word, homologos, homologeo. God, you already know this is a sin. I confess this as a sin, and you are forgiving me and cleansing me. Frederick Nietzsche said over 100 years ago, if God is dead, everything is permitted. It sounds a little like 2021, but God's not dead. God's absolute in this world and deviation from his character as revealed in his law is still sin because God is still light and in him is no darkness at all. And God's word, folks, is not an arbitrary set of rules designed to restrict and inhibit us. It's the expression of God's will for us, for our relationship to him and our relationship among other people and even with this world. That's why adultery and theft and lying and murder, it all still remains sin even if you change the game of the language, semantics. Other sins commonly tolerated among Christians like greed and jealousy and malice and bitterness and a critical or unforgiving spirit, those are equally attacks. That's why it breaks my heart when churches want a soapbox and bandwagon about this sin over that sin and this over that when some of us are sitting here today with unforgiving spirits and grudges. 
I want to close with that. There's an example seen in the life of Corrie ten Boom. If you've never read anything from her or about her, you really should. She and her family were Christians who lived in Holland during World War II, and their family was involved in hiding Jews. You may remember her very famous book, The Hiding Place. Um, Corrie and her family suffered terribly at the hands of Nazis when they were discovered. Her sister Betsy died in a Nazi concentration camp. When she was released, Corey committed her life to spreading the message of forgiveness through Christ to all people. And she had a follow-up book from the hiding place called uh, Tramp for the Lord. doesn't mean anything bad. It's <laughs> one who travels. And, but she recorded in that a powerful example of how a lack of repentance and forgiveness would allow walls to exist between people, even between two Christians. Corey had gone to Munich, Germany with the message that God forgives. Now, that was a much-needed message in a war-torn, um, devastated nation of the time. After speaking in a dark basement room with solemn faces staring back at her, they couldn't quite believe her harrowing message and all that she and her family had endured. Corey locked eyes and saw one of the most cruel Nazi guards coming toward her. In an instant, she said her mind was flooded with flashbacks of a blue uniform and a visored cap and skull and crossbones and a huge room with harsh overhead lighting and a pathetic pile of dresses and shoes on the center of the floor. I still remember that. Both in New York and in Israel, I remember in the Holocaust museums, the pile of shoes. And to this day, it still strikes me. And Corey saw all of that and a flood of emotions overwhelmed her. She had such shame of having had to walk naked past this man. She could still see her sister's frail frame walking in front of her, her skin like paper. Eventually, this former prison guard stood right in front of her. And when he did, he extended his hand. A fine message, Fräulein, he declared. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sin is at the bottom of the sea. Corey continued the story in her own words. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. No, he clearly didn't remember me. But since that time, I've gone on to become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the terrible things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, he extended his hand. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven but could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed as hours as I wrestled with one of the most difficult things I'd ever had to do. Corey knew that she had to forgive. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. 
She knew this was not only a command, but an utter necessity. The victims of Nazi brutality who were able to forgive their tormentors were, in fact, able to heal and get on with their life, no matter how bad the physical scars. But those who did not forgive found no healing, no matter where they searched. Corey knew that forgiveness was an act of the will, not her emotions. So she prayed for help. And she lifted her hand, woodenly, mechanically. And as she extended it, the Lord filled her heart with forgiveness, and she says even love for her former captor. Warmth filled her heart as tears filled her eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried. With all my heart, I forgive you. As Pastor Jeff joins me on the platform, I would say to us that we must forgive to retain our fellowship with God and with others, even those who have wronged us or those we love severely. You said, I don't understand that, Pastor. You've been talking about walking in the light and our sin and this and that. Well, I knew if I brought up something like drunkenness and prostitution and drugs, a lot of you would walk out smug thinking, well, I'm okay. But some of you still harbor unforgiveness and grudges in your heart. And God said, come back to me today and walk in the light. And we'll have fellowship one with another. Because the blood of Jesus has forgiven all of us of all unrighteousness. Some days I have to remember that were it not for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am as guilty before a holy God as a Nazi prison guard. And so are you. And so are you. See, if we don't forgive, we lose at least three ways. We lose our fellowship with God. We lose our fellowship with others. We lose our spiritual vitality. Have you been forgiven much? Christian, have you been forgiven much? Then will you offer much forgiveness? Don't ever deny the significance of your own sin, your sinful nature, your sinful actions. Come and confess to Christ today. Come and find cleansing from Jesus today. Come to him for hope and healing today. Stop walking in the dark. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. And for you, walk in the light. Stand with me this morning. Some of y'all, you just need to come and pour it out on this altar before a holy God today. That's between you and the Lord. You do it. Some of you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to come and say yes. We had a young lady baptized in the first service that just a couple of weeks ago bowed right over there and I had the joy of seeing her burst into the kingdom. She said yes to Christ and came and confessed and trusted Jesus and she followed him today. Some of you need to give your life to him. Some of you need to say, you know, I'm just ready to be a part of what God's doing here. There'll be pastors off to the side, and then after the formal service, the invitation will continue as Cindy and I come right over here. We'd love to have you share with us, but whatever you need to do today, bring it to the Lord. Well, you, you just don't understand. You say all of that, and you don't know what they did to me, my wife, my kids. You don't know. I don't need to. 
I know what they did to my Jesus, and I know how he responded. And all I can tell you is if you're waiting for a warm, fuzzy feeling to get things right, you may wait until you're standing before your judge and maker one day. This is not about feelings. This is about choices. Will you make the choice to do it God's way? When I say amen, the altar's open. Father in heaven, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your cleansing. Now do what only you can do in the final moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.